Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Karthik Suresh, the CTO and co-founder of a go-to-market platform called Ignition. Karthik's experience leading product teams led him to co-found Ignition, the world's first go-to-market platform that allows businesses to manage all stages of the product lifecycle. Karthik's career journey revealed to him that product road mapping was a major pain point. He has since become an expert on building, launching, and scaling products across consumer, enterprise, and data domains. On this episode, we discuss the life cycle of a product, the go-to-market process, how to acquire funding, and much more. Here's our interview now. Karthik, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show. Excited. Yeah, we're very happy to have you. So first off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company, Ignition? Yeah. So we co-founded Ignition about two years ago. The story to that is like, so I was a product manager at Facebook before, and we were launching several products. And a lot of the times, the go-to-market plan was like a spreadsheet with 100 tabs, which, and then like there was a tab to keep track of other tabs. So nobody could really find what's going on. And at the same time, I met my co-founder, Derek, who was an early employee at the HR tech company called Rippling. And when we were brainstorming ideas, we were like, there's so many tools to help build products or manage your tasks or project management systems. There's nothing really to like actually help you come up with a go-to-market plan and manage that end-to-end. And that's how Ignition was born. So Ignition is basically a system of record for go-to-market. It's a platform where you can, you know, create your go-to-market plans, collaborate and manage everything in like one place. Very cool. Can you actually explain that go-to-market process for me and for people who say they're listening and trying to start their very first startup right now? Can you kind of explain what that go-to-market process generally looks like? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're an entrepreneur in tech or you're building an e-commerce business or, you know, it's it's a brand new industry. A lot of the times when you start building a product, let's say, um, when the product is built and then you want to take the product to market, there is a tendency to like, just jump to tactics, you know, just jump to like spending a bunch of money on Google search ads or Instagram ads or TikTok or whatever channel you're using without actually having to really invest in coming up with a robust go-to-market strategy. And I think that can make all the difference between the success and failure of the product. You know, there's there also all this debate about whether distribution is important or the product is important. In my opinion, distribution is at least as important as the product. And that that should be so. Any product you build uh, should you should always have distribution in mind from day one. So now let me explain. Um, so I'm not going to go into the detail of the execution side on the on the marketing channels. I'm going to talk a lot in depth about the planning and the strategy of side and the go to market side because that's what I think a lot of people miss. And and by doing that, they're leaving a ton of money on the table. Yeah, please do. So what does a good go to market plan even look like? So even like say so even before you first say you have an e-commerce store, you start like, okay, now I need to drive traffic to this store. Um let's say you're you it's, it's a store for curtains or whatever you're selling and or, or you know it's it's a tech business. The first thing to do is like really understand who your target audience is, like who your persona is, right? First, you define your ICP, which is your you know, ideal customer profile. For example, if you're targeting companies, that would be like, okay, you know, I sell to uh, companies with less than 50 employees who are in manufacturing space. Or you define a specific persona in that ICP. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be selling to a product manager who is, you know, who is from 20 to 35, earning about this income. 
in in a company of you know 200 to 500 range and who is focused on building b2b software that's number one and i'm hoping like you already have spoken to a, a ton of people and your potential users even before you build your product so the number one step is you know defining your target audience or defining your persona you're going to go after and then once you do that then you do you understand you you try to do a market research you figure out who the competitors are in this space and then you go through each competitors and figure out how they are positioning themselves like what they are targeting uh, which which section of the market they are targeting what are the differentiators and what are the gaps in the market so there's different ways to do that you can even almost like come up with a word cloud and try to see like where where the competitors are playing and where you want to position yourself so the next step is to then position yourself which is an exercise on its own so positioning is very important because then users can clearly differentiate you from your competitors when you when they see your product they can say oh this is different because compared to all these x y and z you know the value prop of your product is this and that's why you're different so like i'm going to make a purchase decision based on that so uh, you need to spend time in pos- positioning your product and then coming up with a messaging a really strong messaging using which the value prop of your product becomes really clear to your target audience make it such a way that you know you're not you're not you're not just selling a solution but you're selling you're actually targeting a problem and that's how you kind of message to the users because you have all these problems and then you talk about like how your own product can help that then once you have you know once you do your audience research market research positioning messaging exercise the next step is pricing like how do you price your product there's so many different ways to do that even you can run surveys you can there's even different like pricing methodologies like uh, van westendorp or other service you can run or you can start experimenting have a trial and error to see where it goes but it should the the pricing and packaging should make sense and you know you need to spend time iterating really targeting the value their product is providing versus just like based on a cost, some kind of a cost plus basis and then once you have the pricing done that's when you think okay now which marketing channels should i should i use to reach these target audience you know when we started this exercise we had defined the persona now the goal is like okay where do this persona live do they live in reddit do they live in tiktok you know do they you know you know is it a conference i need to go to is there like an in person event where a lot of these people attend like what are the different channels or is it blogs or newsletters where these these the people in this persona actually read then you come up with a list of channels which i can use to then go target these you know target your ideal uh, persona and then once you decide with the cha- you know decide on the channels then you work on you know your marketing campaigns and that's when the marketing campaigns actually start where you know you come up, you know you work on your assets you work on your copy you work, you have a budget and you start you know placing all these campaigns and optimizing them so but as you can see there's so many steps you need to do before you reach this um the marketing campaigns part a lot of the times one of the mistakes which i see entrepreneurs doing is jumping directly here like jumping directly to like you know just start running google search ads uh without doing the exercise of figuring out your actual persona messaging positioning uh your product in a way which appeals to that uh, audience and then jumping you know and then instead of that jumping directly to um running this campaign so i mean so then it's the campaigns and once you done the campaigns then you know you measure success then you constantly iterate and then and then you know i'm sure there's so many other hosts in this podcast who talked in depth about how to run this campaigns how to optimize this campaigns and 
how do you, and, and so on. So yeah, let me take me take a pause there. It's extremely insightful, first off. And my second thing is you mentioned something I want to dive into a little bit, which is why brands and people struggle with this this process. And that's because they're they're focused on the marketing before they have a base foundation on what their product is, what problem it's trying to solve. It, it, it feels like why is that though specifically? Is it because they have an overconfidence in their product? Is it because they're not doing enough, you know, market research? They're kind of typically just going, I know my product, I like my product, and I think it can sell. So let's worry about selling it. Or, or, or kind of why is it that they're so focused on this this back end instead of the front end, do you think? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, I think it requires a lot of discipline and structure to actually, an untime investment to actually think through this. And a lot of the times when once you're built, you, you immediately want to see if this product can uh, can have an impact, right? And then you want to kind of jump directly into the tactics. I think more more importantly, you know, I think this is especially true in the tech space, where people think you build an amazing product, people will come. Like you just build sure. the best product out there, and people will come, but they don't. There are thousands and thousands of software products being built every day, unless and until you have a really strong differentiation and being able to message that in a way where you can differentiate your competitors. You're not going to succeed, which is why. You know, for example, I keep joking, like, you know, there's so many products which keep launching on Product Hunt. So Product Hunt is a place where software products, you know, launch every day and they vote and, you know, you rank. And sometimes I feel like it's a graveyard where products go to die because uh, you just feel like, you know, I just go and put my name on Product Hunt and boom, all the users are just going to start like flowing in, but doesn't really happen. So I think it takes a lot of, you know, expertise. And then especially if you if you ask like a second or third time founder, this is something super obvious. But if you're starting for the first time, this is not. And that's why it's really important to like trust the process and actually invest time, you know, figuring out figuring out who your users are, you know, doing user research, market research, positioning exercise. This will save you a lot of heartburn later in the process. Yeah, trust the process instead of over-trust the product that still needs a little bit more development, it sounds like. So how do you evaluate when a product is ready to go to market? I mean, it sounds like you've got a rubric of all these things that need to be done, but to dive into the actual development of the product itself, how do you know when it's ready? Yeah. So I can speak to that more in the software space, given my background. So that's why you have like multiple phases in a product launch process. For example, the classic phases are like alpha, beta, and general availability. So what you generally do is when you have a new feature you want to add to your product, uh, you do like an alpha release, which is you basically release to a very a small subset of customers who are very loyal and who's not going to churn even if they have a bad experience and who are willing to give you feedback and then test it out to see if it's adding value. And then only only when you confirm that it's actually adding value, then you move to beta, which is basically a larger distribution. Otherwise, you roll it back. You just roll it back and iterate till the initial set of customers are happy. And then once you go to beta, it's a much larger distribution. And then you just kind of confirm that all the assumptions you made in the alpha are actually right. And and that's when going to general availability is when you really kind of invest in like a you know, full fledged go to market like campaign you know whatever your your what your depending on your budget and so on. So that's kind of how how I approach uh, rollout of products. But again, this is very different if you're starting out a business. If you're an entrepreneur, you're starting out a business. You don't have an existing set of customers 
to actually go test this. So you really have to then figure out, you know, what is like MVP or, you know, what's your MLP, which is like the minimum lovable product which you can build without, you know, wasting a ton of resources and try to get it get into the hands of your potential customers as soon as possible and incentivize them to try it and give you feedback. And only when you get an answer like, oh, hell yeah, or, you know, when can I put my credit card down, things like that, that's when you know that you are ready to launch. Until that point, you need to keep iterating again and again and again. But the last point I would add to this is like, especially this is true if you're talking to users. If you're building a new product, a lot of the times you talk to your own network, which is your friends or family. Unfortunately, you would be getting a lot of wrong signals because you'll be getting a lot of false positives. You know, people, humans, they tend to like not give you honest feedback, not because they, they want to support you. Them. I mean, they, they, they want to be you. empathetic and say, you did such a good job, even though your product yeah. might not even work. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't want to hurt your feelings. You know what I mean? So, and then you shouldn't rely only on that and go launch. <laughs> you should take it with a big grain of salt. And that's why you, you don't just look out for signals like, yes, I'll use a product. You'll be like, hell yeah, I want it right now. Or I'm ready to put down my credit card right now. You need like extreme signals you know, for you to actually, you know, get confidence in, and then you're taking your product to a more larger scale, uh, breadth of audience. And you mentioned something in there that I find very interesting that I want to expound upon a little bit. And that's the difference between, you know, making, developing and going to market with a product for a startup versus someone who already has an established brand. So one of the differences you already mentioned is that an established company has an established audience. So really, as long as you make the product good, it most likely will sell versus with a startup company. I also think it's interesting that creating products to establish an identity and a brand for a startup is very different than establish or making products for a brand that already has an established identity. You know, Apple has a very distinct identity in the products that they make and they package and they and they sell. So making something that complements that is going to be very different than creating a whole new identity for a brand. So my question to you is, how do you approach developing a product for a startup versus one that's already well-established like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think if you're well-established, you're you're going into different problems. Again, talking from a more of a software perspective, like uh, let's say you're launching a, a new product, given that you have an existing customer base and you have a strong brand, there's a really high probability that all your customers are at least give it a shot, start using it, or at least start trying it out. But there, the problem is like, I've seen like in larger companies, there's a huge alignment problem. For example, I've seen like the company will ship new features to this product and the salespeople won't even be aware of it. Other customer success people will be like, oh, when did we ship this new feature? Um, and, and then if somebody asks questions, I'm like, oh, I have no idea that this even shipped. Oh, like, wow. go, go ask, you know, and ask the product owners and get back to you. So I think there's a there's a more of an alignment problem uh, in larger companies around distribution, and that results in like you know as I talk as I was talking about my own experience, like sometimes you know, I think when we ship the wrong logo or you know we had the wrong campaigns in place because not everyone was on the same page and not everyone knew the timeline, what was launching when, and it was kind of a very disjointed fra- and a fragmented process. To be honest, that's what's in, you know that's what inspired me to build Ignition. So versus in a in a in a in a smaller company or a, or or even if you're starting off there you have nothing so you know you have a really steep uphill to climb which is why it's even more important to do all the things I talked about you know really like investing time to talk to like fifty first defining your persona talking to fifty people incentivizing them to try it 
creating a, a minimal minimum level product and then making sure it actually solves the problem then trying to like figure out who your competitors are figuring out what you know, how to position it how to stand out and then when you start creating your brand that's a whole conversation on the brand we could have a separate podcast <laughs> um, the, right now i'm just focusing on the on the go to market side of things so it's it's more on uh, i would say really getting your fundamentals right about uh, you know your distribution strategy your go to market strategy like how are you how are you going to build a like a found a strong foundation on which you can keep launching and iterating and iterating and then and then build like a growth machine one of the things that your company does ignition is you talk about being a part of the process for the entire product's life cycle now a product's life cycle typically doesn't end once it is released right i mean just in the example that you gave a product is released and people are say they're struggling with it and they need advice on how to use it. And then the, the the brand, there's an alignment issue, I think is what you referred to it. So how do you guys continue to monitor a product and tweak it throughout its extended life cycle? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, the saying is like, you know, you do a product launch and you go party because every launch is a success. Because <laughs> actually it's just the beginning of a, of a new process. Exactly. So, you know, in, in the at least in the software space, there's a few different things you need to do once you launch the product. And the number one thing is, of course, monitor usage, monitor retention, make sure there's no churn. And, and also like if people are churning, figuring out why they are churning and really getting to the bottom of that, getting into the product analytics space and then ha- having both qualitative and quantitative data on how users are using your either your new feature or a new product is important. The second thing is being able to, you know, continuously measure, you know, whether it's a CSAT score or NPS score for your product and being able to quantify that and key and then and then if that score falls below a certain threshold, being able to readily readily jump on that to fix that. And then finally having, you know, a way to like solicit feedback on new ideas. Like, you know, for example, uh, you know, you you asked about ignition. In ignition, we have a idea management system where you can have a portal where users can actually come in and give feedback or request new ideas. They can vote on the existing roadmap, help you prioritize the roadmap and give you feedback. So some sort of a feedback management system to help you iterate on building new features, innovating your product. I mean, I'm not talking about the customer support side where you have like a Zendesk or whatever software using to fix customer issues or, you know, fix the bugs you find. This is more on Figuring out, okay, like now you launched it, are people happy? Are people using it? And then what new features do they want? You know, and what, how do you, how do they want, how does the customer want you to iterate on your existing product? Which is like, a, it seems like a no brainer when I talk about it, but it's, uh, it's almost funny that when I talk to a lot of product owners, how it's a lot of it is based on, based on intuition or you know, the loudest voice in the room and not really like based on data. I mean, if you have customers, just listen to them and deploy platforms to be able to like get the information in a most as efficient way as possible and then divert it to the product owner so they can help the customer insights prioritize the features in the roadmap. So that's another thing which we do, for example. And I can imagine that a lot of times when people launch product, then it is sell, 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 put this in people's hands. Let's increase the sales of it. We put all this time into developing it. So 
you know, 90% of our efforts should go into selling it, not elevating it. Not even like what I'm hearing you say is fixing it, but elevating it and developing it for when that next version or update comes out, it's twice as good. And then people will be even more invested in maybe wanting to buy that version if they're not buying this version, because, you know, word of mouth is a, is a very powerful thing. So now kind of moving on to the end game, you work with a lot of products and a lot of different companies. So how do you know when to cut your losses on a product? So what, what does that evaluation look like? Eventually, there's got to come to a point where no one's buying a product anymore. It's not really worth putting out anymore. Does, does that happen with you guys? Or what does that evaluation process look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, for me, personally, it comes down to usage. It's like, it's not even sales. It's not even revenue. It's basically like, basically like retention, right? For me, the retention is the single biggest driver of product market fit. Are the users coming back to use your product every day or every other day or every week or every month? If it's like a more of like a CPG kind of a product you're selling to e-commerce businesses, like then you know, are the people, are they coming back to buy the product again and again every month? Are they referring people? You know, you can look at the reviews, some kind of uh, analogy for uh, the repeated usage, you know, in software products. Like if you don't see users coming back and using your product again and again, or if you see the users decreasing over time, like basically if you plot a graph in the last three months, week over week, you see the the usage of your product for each user. And if that keeps coming down, if the people start churning and you cannot retain users, that's a clear sign you need to cut your losses. What I'm hearing you say is you take the financials off the table because it's just a matter of time anyway, if people aren't using the product. I I think that's a pretty, um, sounds obvious. That's what you said that really resonated with me earlier in this um, conversation is a lot of this stuff seems obvious, but I think we get so unfocused on doing what we want to do that the base stuff that feels really obvious might fall through the cracks sometimes. Acquiring funding is is a pretty difficult process that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. Some people think that's like a fun part of it. Some people are like, ah, that's the most difficult part. How do you navigate that? And what, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs trying to acquire funding? Yeah. So again, it really uh, depends on the type of the business. A lot of the times, uh, I would always encourage people to at least the first phase bootstrap and build something which they can show that there is value in the market and which is like basically building this MVP, showing it to like 50 users and then getting commits that they would use it if we build out the full product, for example. I think till then you need to like do it yourself. And then once you get to that stage, then there's a few options. Like especially in the in the tech world, uh, the obvious thing to do is raise like a friends and family round or an angel round, you know, so basically... You know, go to your go to your boss, go to your professional uh, connections, or go to your friends and family, and then see if you can raise a small round, which is just enough to you know get your product off the ground and get it into the hands of your persona. And that's the first step. And then once you do that, then you get like great reviews, or you see this retention, you see this usage increasing, and people are loving your product. Then you want to scale usage, and that's when you go raise a larger round. But that at that time you have like hard data with you like you have a product you have a bunch of users you have testimonials you have case studies so you have metrics you have some kind of a willingness to pay idea and then you have like all these metrics with you and armed with that you can go you know talk to vcs to raise like a proper uh, you know venture capital round or any kind of financial financing you want to do or you want to if you want to borrow a loan or however you want to do it but it's very important that you get to this stage 
with as efficiently as possible without burning a ton of money because a lot of the times 9 out of 10 times you might realize oh this is not the right product or i want to pivot i want to build something else and it happens again and again and again and then if you already taken a lot of money in doing that then you know nobody's going to give you a second chance so that's kind of what i would recommend sure and i think that the angel round with friends and family and and professionals people that are already kind of in your network that's an easy way to take that pressure off at the same time too it's not like this is do or die i have to you know when you're talking when when you get these kind of once in a lifetime opportunities when you're talking to people like all right i have to make this sale essentially or my product is dead i think it's a good way to boost that confidence a little bit and kind of take the pressure off of those bigger meetings so you mentioned earlier that you worked as a pm or, or product manager at facebook and you actually worked in their reality labs division if my research is correct yeah. how did that role prepare you for your work at ignition and what did you learn from that experience yeah i, I would say like i think working at larger companies is uh, is probably a different kind of a gig compared to starting a company obviously like you you do learn a lot of lessons but i want to say that in a lot of the times people at large companies who are very successful or execs are like hey like you know i built this amazing product at facebook now i'm going to build a, a new startup on my own and it's not easy <laughs> it's not the same thing you have so much support and resources you you know like when i was at pm at facebook you know i had my own design team my data analytics team obviously my engineering team and i have all these resources at my at my hand i could use and then if you're if i'm building like a startup from scratch i don't have any of these resources i need to do everything myself like i need to hustle do a little bit of a design write a little bit of sql or whatever is required for me to actually do it without a ton of resources so that's the different the the things which you learn or the things which i learned is like i think one thing i would say is like you know you basically surrounded by so many smart people and you know the drive and the ambition and the way you look at problems and problem solving it's so different and then you really like up your game by doing that Uh, and then you're also looking at the second thing is looking at scale like you know that you deploy a feature you know like 100 million people will be using it the next day it's, it's insane if you think about it like you know you know if, if you're a startup you're looking to get one person to buy it at the beginning and there you just like you're deploying something and a like 100 million people are going to be using it the next day so the attention to details and the amount of experimentation everything you need to do is so different and this that just like really helps you to think more strategically you know as we were talking about strategy at the beginning thing where you can't just go and experiment so it really you know sharpens your study strategic skills and really exposes you to a smart people and you know really helps with your problem solving skills and you also develop an intuition around okay is this going to be something which is going to become big or I should not work on this because you know especially if you're at Facebook there are thousand every person has a thousand ideas you know if you have a 3 billion audience there's like millions and millions of product ideas you can ship to you know kind of then so you know you really like sharpen your you know like product product prioritization skills and strategy skills so yeah that's i would say those are some of the things i kind of learned and there's got to be a bit of a difference between like making a product that one person is having some problems with and then releasing a product or you know i think i read that you worked on stuff that was like seasonal like nfl kickoff and and halloween and thanksgiving so stuff that people would use around that time and i'd hate to put something out that it felt like tens of millions of people was like this this wasn't what i want or this isn't working the way i want and the guilt that could be associated with that so that definitely feels like high pressure for sure 
Well, look, I, I always end our episodes with this final question about how essentially in the e-commerce industry, it's very go, 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 24-7, 365. And I think it's extremely important that people in the space practice hobbies and interests that aren't e-commerce for that, I don't know, to, to release the stress a little bit. So yeah, so so Karthik, what do you do in your free time, my friend, to have a little bit more stable mental health? Yeah, no, that's that's probably the single most important question of today's session, I would say. Like, I was literally talking about the same thing with a founder CEO coach. And he was saying that a lot of the times, you know, when you're starting a business, it's your baby, right? And you just give your 100%. You're working all the time. And sometimes it comes at the cost of, you know, your family, your friendships, your hobbies, and which takes a huge toll on your mental and physical health in the longer term. In fact, you know, again, coming, uh, talking about another theme, it's like, what is obvious right now? You don't do it. The obvious thing is if you actually, take time out for your family, for your friends, do things which matter, the chance that your business is successful is actually higher. It's almost like counterintuitive. It's like, no. <laughs> so it's really, really important that, uh, you know, you really take time off, um, you know, your work and then focus on spending time with your friends and family, um, you know, which I do. You know, I also, uh, you know, do yoga. I do a lot. You know, I do meditation every day. And I think meditation has really helped me like to, you know, zoom out. You know, not just be like, go, go, go every day, just zoom out and have like a 30,000 foot view of like, you know, where my life is. And also like, come up with a roadmap for your own life, you know, prioritize priorities for your own life, right? But like, just like the way you would do for your business, like how you, you know, want to prioritize. Obviously, if business is taking 80% of your time, make sure you have the 20% of your time in a day for your own activities and prioritize based, you know, based on your own passion. I mean, I've done three startups and, you know. I've been uh, working for the last 15, 20 years. So the only thing which, which is constant is change. Things change so fast. The business you have today might get sold tomorrow or you know, it might not do well. But what really lasts for a lifetime is, you know, the other things which you do in life, you know, everything around spending time and friends and family to all the hobbies and passions you follow. So definitely take time for that. Beautiful answer. Karthik, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, my friend. Until next time. Great. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. I'd like to thank my guest, Karthik Suresh, for joining me on the show and tune in on Thursday when I talk with Kathleen Booth, the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Member Success for Pavilion, a community-powered learning platform for CEOs, GTM leaders, and e-commerce entrepreneurs. For more information about Karthik, you can connect with him on LinkedIn. To learn more about Ignition, you can check out their website, haveignition.com, or follow them on Twitter, at haveignition. That's our show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until next time.